We'll go through the stories in the papers in just a moment, but we're joined by Fianna Fáil TD for Carlo Kilkenny, John McGuinness, Owen O'Brien, who is the Sinn Féin TD for Dublin Midwest, and Niamh Lyons, political editor for the Irish edition of The Times. Good morning to you all. Brass monkeys outside, I think we can all agree this morning. I have to formally retract the advice I gave on Twitter, which was to get the kettle out if you were going to defrost your car, because apparently if you get the kettle out, you run the risk of shattering your windscreen. I didn't know that, but I'd like to formally say that, that is the thing now. So if you shattered your windscreen, I do apologise. That's, that's and, what me and always send the letters seeking compensation to... Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd say it's him in the phone book, actually. I could get into trouble with that. scraping, though. You run the risk of actually doing damage to the windscreen. So Stay in it's, bed it's is my advice. Game. Don't be leaving the house. It's, it's the most exactly. sensible thing to do this morning. Unless you're being dragged into a radio studio like you have been on. At the front of the Sunday Times, Kenny will not invite Trump to visit Ireland. And Kenny will not invite US President Donald Trump to Ireland when he visits the White House in March despite refusing to rule out the prospect at a meeting of EU leaders in Malta last week. Government sources uh, say the Taoiseach would instead raise the situation of 50,000 undocumented Irish in America and seek mechanisms to regularise their status. That's the record they've been playing for the last 20 years but sure look we'll give it another spin. A Bailey to be tried for murder in France writes John Mooney. Ian Bailey has been formally indicted by French authorities to stand trial for the murder of Sophie Toscan du Plantier, the French woman found beaten to death at her holiday home in Skull in December of 1996. Uh, Bailey revealed yesterday Garthi called to his home in Skull in West Cork to serve him with a 95-page indictment outlining the case against him. He will be tried, of course, in his absence uh, by all accounts. Uh, the Sunday Business Post, uh, fascinating read uh, a detailed analysis of what Donald Trump means for this particular borough. Trump versus Ireland Inc. is the headline, sweeping new visa laws to hit Irish workers and businesses, US pharma giants stalling Irish investment, former Obama advisor warns of Trump impact in Ireland. It's uh, quite a worrying read. We'll go through it in just a minute. Uh, But he's down at the bottom left-hand corner of the page as well. Four, Trump hit with suit over Irish golf course. A fortnight after Donald Trump resigned as director of Doonbeg Golf Course. I missed that one. I'm I'm sure the people Mm. of Doonbeg are gutted. Uh, The business is facing a high court personal injury suit. A man in his 30s is suing the Lynx after he was allegedly struck in the head by a wayward golf ball. The man claims he suffered the injury while sitting on the public beach beside the luxury resort with his family back in 2015. So that was an unpleasant end to his trip to the beach. Uh, Public pay deals mean fresh cuts. Secret memo. That's the Sunday Independence front page. Donoghue warns ministers to review spending a secret cabinet memo which of course isn't that secret because it's on the front of the Sunday Independent reveals for the first time serious concerns at the heart of government over the funding available to meet ministers growing demands ahead of next year's budget. Ministers have also been told that they will have to make hard choices on spending in their departments and warn that any new proposals will have to be funded through cost cutting and saving measures across their own portfolios which again is the record we've been playing for the last 20 years they're just playing it again at this time from public expenditure. Um, Front of the Mail on Sunday, a story we we talked a little bit about last week, it's the injection rooms that are planned for Dublin, or at least the injection room, they're starting with one. Plans to legalise heroin in chaos, junior health minister's radical drug strategy is opposed by Garthi and business leaders, and even her fellow health minister is against it. Uh, These are objections from Garthi and ministers that are throwing plans for the supervised heroin injection facility into chaos before it's even reached cabinet. Catherine Byrne is championing the legislation. It's to be brought before Cabinet on Tuesday, but there is a confidential Garda report again, not that confidential, report that recommends, uh, the (coughs) condemns the pilot clinic as impossible to police, which is arguably true because if you've got heroin, which is an illegal drug, and you're allowing people injected in a room, you are tacitly ignoring the law by all accounts so therefore it is going to be difficult to police impossible is another word and the Sunday world long arm of the jaws uh, cops throw a ring of steel around family home amid fears of attack on the Regency anniversary which is actually today uh, come to think of it a year uh, since that terrifying attack at a weigh-in for a boxing event um, the, the, we'll start with, with Trump um, and I suppose Owen this is going to annoy Donald Trump because he uh, lashed out yesterday, crossing the boundary uh, between the executive and the judiciary, saying uh, the so-called judge was putting lives at risk and that immigrants, violent, dangerous criminals would be pouring into the states 
clearly bypassing what exists already in terms of uh, of border security. Uh, how do you think Donald Trump is going to react? Well, first of all, it's important to say that unlike uh, almost all of his predecessors, uh, many of whom I disagree with profoundly, when they issued executive orders, they sought considerable legal opinion from their own attorney general uh, and from senior figures in the relevant government department. Uh, and that was the basis on which executive orders were brought forward. Trump has dispensed with all of that. And what he's doing is he's kind of throwing out executive orders like confetti. So in the first instance, it's hardly surprising that uh, his first and most controversial one in relation to the Muslim ban uh, is le- kind of being faced with very significant legal challenges. And I think everybody was expecting that. And it's more than likely that it will be overturned as a result of his failure to uh, follow the same kind of operating procedures as predecessors. Uh, I tend not to pay too much attention to it. his Twitter account um, because it just it's, it is bizarre, uh, and but I think the, lang- the language though, it is. You have and to that's, worry that's, about the language. That, that's part of the difficulty. But I suppose that the bigger issue for me is is the substance of it. Uh, and I think uh, if the if the American system operates uh, through its checks and balances in the way it has done previously, Trump is going to find it much much more difficult to introduce these kinds of offensive and appalling policies than he thinks. Now that may then see his Twitter uh, rhetoric ratchet up. Uh, but the real issue is, I mean, first of all, the, the initial judge decision is obviously a very good one. Uh, uh, but now there's a period of uncertainty. So I think what what we all want to see, because this isn't just a domestic US issue, this affects uh, Irish citizens, it affects people all over the world. It also affects the Irish Muslim community in, in a variety of ways. Uh, I think we'd all like to see this issue dealt with as quickly as possible. Uh, and it could be, in some senses, uh, a positive in the sense that it could clip Donald Trump's wings and make him realise that he's not some timpot dictator who can just issue presidential decrees what, wait, with wait, huge wait. negative impacts both for his own country uh, and internationally. I have to ask the question, if his wings were clipped, would he even notice, given the nature of the man in question? Does he listen to reason? I, I don't think he'd actually stand for that. I, I think that Donald Trump has, he set out his star with the electorate and uh, for the first time in a long time they got a politician that is now going to fulfil the promises that he made. And the, the people actually agreed with those, a lot, well, 40, 50% of them. Um, I think it's quite shocking the the, the role that he's he's taking um, and the issuing of all of these uh, you know presidential orders uh, I've never seen it before every single day we have something different and the people that he surrounded himself with uh, seem to you know support all of what he stands for uh, and this ban on Muslims uh, is just something that I, I find it very difficult um, to stomach at all from a US president. But where it's going to end, uh, you know, as the courts rule against him, uh, he could become even more furious, more cornered and look for ways to deliver on his promises. I I saw a former advisor to Obama uh, tweeting last night saying that the the effect that that so-called judge tweet was going to have on the other judiciary was probably more profound than people were allowing for because it makes it more difficult for judges to stand up to the executive and and the separation of powers if it becomes blurred like that it gives Trump an opportunity to bully the judiciary in a way that perhaps other presidents wouldn't even have countenanced. Although it may have the opposite effect and it may push many people including people uh, who are in or close to the Republican Party in the US to actually take a stand for the separation of powers uh, as they're outlined. I mean we're already seeing obviously some uh, uh, key uh, Republican uh, Congress people and senators taking a strong stand. Now they're less dependent on Trump for the upcoming midterms but there is a sense in which the more outrageous he is uh, in fact it might reinforce uh, those checks and balances in the system. It's also important to note that in the short period of time since his inauguration he's seen the most dramatic drop in his approval ratings of any US president in recent time. So this idea that the people are behind him, I think it's going to be very interesting to see the way in which American popular opinion, including some people who voted for Trump, respond. Because a lot of American voters, whether they're Democrat or Republican, do very jealously guard their separation of powers. And people often split where they'll vote for a Republican president and a Democratic congressperson or senator. So again, I think if he seeks to continually ride roughshod over the rules of, of of that separation of powers, it could actually undermine his presidency or at least undermine the way in which, certainly from the outside, it looks like he's abusing the powers mm. that he now has. Yeah, what does, he appoints 4,000 different, um, has 4,000 different positions to which he appoints people. Uh, I'm sure they're all some way associated with Trump or his family or, the, or his ideas. He fully appoint them all yet. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's, uh, he, he can do so much damage in a short period of time as President of the United States either well, to that's the what he's judicial to system 
or to other economies that rely on America or to Irish people, for example, in America. Uh, and no one seems to be able to to influence him. Although I see Gene Kerrigan writing today, he says that uh, he's a sucker for flattery. And if end the laser on thick, the old gobshite may pour. Well, it's a controversial thing to say, but I mean, what he did in relation to the Muslim ban or the country ban, because there isn't just Muslims in those countries, but they're predominantly Muslim countries. Uh, in a way, it's a broken promise. He he promised to ban all Muslims. And this is probably why, as Owen said, that his approval rating is dropping. Now, having said that, there was quite a high approval for that particular action, which is extremely 49, 49% disappointing. 49% of yeah. Americans support. So I'm trying to see the bright side of Trump. And I mean, I've been trying for the past two weeks. I, I think he's been sent to unite us all. I think, you know, we as a, you know, as a nation, as a global nation, are just going to see every policy he introduces as abhorrent. And, you know, that will be translated to him through every language of the world once other leaders apart from Andrew Kenny start meeting him. I also think this has to have, you know, galvanised voters in the United States. For once, something has to make them come out in force, you know, because they we really haven't seen um, anybody doing that since probably the kind of JFK era. Um, you know, so like he has kind of taken the heart out of the Republicans and the heart out of the Democrats and kind of melted them into this kind of middle ground. Um, and everybody's just looking and hoping that people realise that what he's doing is so abhorrent that it, it, it cannot who's, stand. Who's, who's strong enough to reshape his presidency Well, let's now. see who um, the Democrats can throw at us because well, really it's be all more, down I'd to I'd be more interested now. to see who the Republicans can have mm. to, to stand up. It ain't going to be Mike Pence who, who's kind of acting as a lapdog, which is kind of even more worrying. We, we talk about Enda Kenny going over there in your paper today and mm. his report that he's not going to extend an invite as if that's going to register even on Trump's radar. But Jerry Adams has made the decision to go as well. Um, on What's the rationale behind that? Because I suppose many of your supporters, Sinn Féin supporters, would be happy if he didn't go. Well, first of all, he hasn't got an invitation to the White House. So what he's saying is if there was an invitation extended, he would uh, he would uh, accept it. Jerry will be going over to Washington for St. Patrick's Day to do a range of other events, which he does every year, partly around raising the, the concerns in relation to the 50,000 Irish undocumented, partly in relation to the peace process and the ongoing negotiations that will be taking place there. And I suppose that the, the, the choice for many of us is is when you're faced with a president whose policies are abhorrent uh, and who are bad both for Ireland and globally, do you boycott and simply not engage? Or do you engage both to make uh, your views on those issues clear, uh, but also to raise other issues of big concern? Like Kieran Staunton is, is quoted in the Irish, uh, or the, the, the Times piece today, He's one of the heads of the uh, uh, lobby group for uh, the undocumented Irish in the US and he's urging Enda Kenny uh, to uh, meet uh, Trump notwithstanding his own opposition to Trump's mm. migration policies because there is going to be an immigration reform bill coming in front of, of the uh, uh, Congress this year or they expect this year or next year uh, and what they don't want is uh, Irish Americans to lose out because there is real fear there. So. Do, do people in Sinn Féin, does Jerry or myself or anybody else support Trump's policies? Absolutely not. And we need to make that very, very clear. But there are issues of huge interest, both here domestically and to Irish Americans, uh, that I suppose politicians have a responsibility to advocate for. And that's part of the tricky so nature of politics. He will make his voice heard in a way that Andy Kenny won't if he gets into the White House. Is that what you're saying? No, I, I, look, again, I think Kieran uh, Staunton is right. Uh, uh, Enda Kenny has a responsibility to uh, engage with Donald Trump and all US political leaders to ensure that the issues around, for example, the undocumented are raised, the issues around the peace process are raised. But what I expect of all Irish politicians, if they do engage with Trump, is the first thing on the, their agenda is, should be to make very, very clear the huge opposition, both here and globally, to policies he's now trying to introduce but that are going to have a detrimental a, impact both on his own country kind and globally. Twitterati lynch mob that are going after everybody now who as much as you know shakes Trump's hand like the chief executive of Uber recently had to kind of distance himself uh, from speaking to Donald Trump because everybody was, was joining. You know, Sheryl Sandberg had to apologise. She of Facebook and former Google fame had to apologise for kind of even going to a meeting with him and not going on the Women's March. You know, all the unions have now been in with Trump. A lot of the big business leaders have been in there. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the direction the country should be taking, kind of kowtowing to big business. But what I am saying is that, you know, if Trump is hearing good advice and if he's 
you know, being nudged in a particular direction by, you know, business people who may have their own agenda, but may also have a more liberal agenda than Trump has displayed, then that can only be a good thing. You know, we can't start condemning every person who goes to try and, and kind of push their agenda with them. I mean, in the Sunday Times today, Conor Brady is, is saying that to refuse um, the invitation, uh, the Taoiseach uh, would be undertaking something tantamount to uh, sabotage for, for the country's record. I mean, we are in a very tricky position with our Irish undocumented. I don't My indication at the moment is I don't think Trump is seeing them in the same way as as the other illegals. But you can't can't predict what the man is going to see. No, but it's not just that. And that's why it's important, I think, for, uh, you know, world leaders to engage with America, not just Trump. Yes, we're against uh, most of his policies, but you have to engage with the administration. Mm. You have to do, I think, what Charlie Flanagan was doing in the course of last week, which is to try and influence and meet with every senator that's on our side or every member of Congress that's on our side or anyone within the administration that's on our side. Because, yes, as the undocumented Irish, there is a big threat about the tax and how it might influence um, American companies to go back to America. But there's a whole world order here that is actually being being tinkered with by uh, Trump. And for people who are used to politics and have engaged in politics over years and are world leaders, they need to try and bring that, you know, that guidance, if you like to call it, to bear Mm. on those involved with Trump. Otherwise, you're just leaving the man to his own devices. And we've seen up to now that it's pretty serious. Easily hoodwinked. I mean, Theresa May went over there and I know she kind of embarrassed herself in many ways with the hand holding stuff. And obviously the fact that apparently, apparently, yeah, or or slopes, gentle slopes freak him out. Um, But uh, she hoodwinked him into reaffirming his commitment to NATO. Now, if we could come out with some kind of uh, deal. And to be honest, this is not the time for the kind of usual paddy whackery and pat on the headery that we go over to do in Washington. This is actually a time for really strong leadership. And I hope there's a very clear and serious message that comes from the government because for, uh, apart from the illegal thing, the tax thing, I mean, Michael Summers is quoted today, uh, the former NTMA boss, about, you know, how the erosion of our corporate tax rate is in huge jeopardy now because of what's happening in Britain with Brexit. Um, they're obviously going to bring their corporation tax down and because of the indications we've been getting from Trump in that area. And he's sort of talking about, you know, how certain um, tax incentives, they have their kind of their 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 natural, you know, death. And and this seems to be the death of the, the 12.5% or the beginning we, we, of it. We were bringing them in by having the low tax rate. What about the other thing that could be raised? And the Sunday Business Post has, has identified this that I certainly wouldn't have picked out. And I'll, I'll take your opinion on it, Owen. That they're, they're saying that, that Trump now is getting rid of tinkering with the visa system, the H-1B and L visas. Um, <laughs> and, and the impact that has is on skilled professional Irish workers who are trained up in a field here who would go then to the States and probably it's some stage come back uh, and they're going to be at a disadvantage here as well Uh, and you know you have to wonder if he's going to do more damage by focusing on areas other than just on the undocumented as we call them and keep in mind look it's not just a US president that gets to decide US immigration policy and visa policy it's the entire political system so there is a responsibility in Irish political leaders irrespective of their party political orientation to engage right across the political spectrum in the US to ensure Ireland's domestic uh, and diaspora interests are properly protected and again we don't know exactly what the plans are so for example there are some people over in the US who work with the Irish diaspora whether they're the undocumented or the Irish business people over there saying don't panic don't worry there's no indication mm-hmm. that there's a problem there's other people actually saying no there's lots of indications that there could potentially be very very serious problems not just with the illegals so, but with people with green no, cards this, this is my point so with the diaspora more generally so that's why the responsibility the responsible thing to do is go over and engage and make the case and make the case in as robust way as possible. But also, and I think we also have a a leadership responsibility, as do all political leaders from other uh, countries, not just to lobby on our own selfish economic or or community interest, but also to say on those other issues. And again, the the ban from the seven Muslim majority countries is a really important one. The blockade on on Syrian refugees is another one to say this is not acceptable. This is wrong. uh, And to make that case. Now, 
obviously they have to do that uh, in whatever form that they have, whether it's public engagement or private engagements. Uh, but for me, it would be foolish to simply walk away from any engagement with the White House administration because it's not just the office of the president. It's also all of the other offices that uh, 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 spring off from that. And that's why I think, given the uncertainty, mm. engagement, no matter how distasteful, no matter how we oppose those other areas of policy, is the right thing to do so long as we put up robust public and private opposition to mm. those policies, which again, I stress, are not only bad for Ireland or the world, are also bad for the US. Mm. 53106 is the number for your text messages and our listeners out in force earlier this morning. Mm. Paul in Dublin, good morning to you, Paul. No checks and balances on this show. <coughs> Two opposition TDs and an esteemed political editor, but okay. No checks and balances on this show. Donald Trump was democratically elected and he is now attempting to introduce the policies he was elected on, says Paul. And two people make the point. The Irish undocumented are illegal immigrants says a listener in capitals. They made a choice and we have zero responsibility for them. We don't tolerate undocumented immigrants here. And someone else says, by the Irish undocumented, I presume you mean illegal immigrants. And why do we have a special place in our heart for them, John? Well, I mean, the the, the truth is, um, and I know this is an uncomfortable truth in the United States, but maybe not so much for the Irish community, but certainly for the likes of the Latina communities. A lot of their immigrants are doing jobs that Americans don't want to do themselves. They're cleaning houses, they're doing gardening, that kind of thing. You know, the other very uncomfortable truth is that you know the sort of blue collar jobs that Trump is trying to push at the moment are all going to be done by robots in 10 years you know car manufacturing in particular Um, so it's you know, it's easy to sort of say with a big broad brushstroke, let's not forget that sanctuary cities all over the United States like New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Seattle. Traditionally have the blue cities. Waved their well. white flag on, on this issue a long time ago and said, look, there's nothing we can do about this. We want these people to have a good quality of life in our cities. We want them to pay taxes. And so if people are more or less abiding by the law and, and you know, going about their daily business, they're not being disturbed. Now, obviously, that's all up for grabs again. But I mean, I also, at a, as a country, who has probably the largest diaspora of of any country in the world. I think it's a bit rich for someone to text or tweet in and kind of talk about how, you know, we shouldn't get a welcome in another country. On the diaspora, can we just point out that if it was any other presidency, we would be in clover with the amount mm. of Irish people who are in positions of power. It's it's documented in the Sunday Times on page 11. Trump's Murphia with a beautiful river dance montage of Sean Spicer and, and Mike Pence and Steve Bannon and, and Mike Flynn, all of whom hold very senior positions and all of whom are very Irish. We'd be delighted if this was a Democrat, wouldn't we? Yeah, but that, that, that was, you know, America was a place where Irish people were able to get jobs, uh, were able to move on down through the generations. So you have these problems that are, are kind of well embedded now in the American system where there are numerous thousands of Irish illegals. And that special relationship that Ireland had with uh, past presidents uh, of the United States uh, and the, the big connection that the states have with Ireland, their backing of the peace process and so on, gives us or did give us up to now a very special place within any American administration. And what we're asking is simply to try and use that to protect those that are working over there, that are central to the American economy and to give them some status. This has gone on for years and years. And also be very clear, look, uh, these are Irish citizens uh, and uh, an Irish government and Irish political parties have a responsibility uh, to advocate in their best interests. These are people who have lived in many cases for decades. They have children who were born in the States. They're working, they're paying tax. And it's not just Irish, by the way, the same you can make for the undocumented Mexicans or undocumented uh, uh, Central Americans. Clearly, the uh, governments in those countries will be lobbying as hard as they can for the citizens from their countries. Uh, and Irish political leaders have a responsibility to do the same. Well, the Mexicans mightn't be as successful as what mm. we might be. Well, no, <laughs> given, no, I tell you, go to, go, go to some southern US states given and you'd Trump, be, sur- no, you'd no, be given surprised Trump by all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting case study on it, isn't it? Because obviously yeah. those two are seriously at loggerheads now. <laughs> and they will see his wrath. I mean, that's the way he does business. Yeah. Is there a radio station in Ireland, as a listener, that can speak up for Trump in a balanced way? I believe the silent This is aimed at you. Listen, listen. Um, I believe a silent majority supports him. The media cannot accept this. Sent to unite us all. Oh my God, how patronising. All right. (laughs) Well, to to be honest, I didn't actually mean it to be patronising. I meant it to sort of make the point that, you know, uh, when a leader kind of takes over, normally they sort of 
had okay so Obama in his first year had a very similar tranche of these kind of executive orders and they're nearly seen as a kind of a sop to the people who voted them because it's sort of an admission I can't actually do any of the things that I want to do so here's kind of a, a half-assed approach at that Can I also say though yeah. the last time I was on this this show uh, only some weeks ago there was a prominent journalist from another newspaper who robustly defended <laughs> Trump but can I also say Trump is not doing what he said he was going mm. to do Trump said he was going to get uh, people in the Rust Belt back to work Trump said he was going to ban Muslims from all Muslim mm. majority countries, particularly those that have the strongest links uh, to Islamist terrorism. Trump said a whole range of things, and he's not doing he's I, not doing any of may, that. May, maybe yet. he's coming from the female perspective of a lot done can more I, to do. Can I say, <laughs> see, see for those people, particularly those people in the most economically marginalised positions in U.S. society who voted for them, they will be worse off uh, at mm. the end of his presidency, however long it lasts, not better off. Before we move off, um, Donald Trump hasn't even tweeted yet, which means he's still asleep, thank God. But uh, there is an interview he has given to Fox. News, um, which is being aired before the Super Bowl, which is in Houston, in Texas. And uh, it, it would appear he has placed the US and Russia on the same moral plane. He he said that he, well, I come to what he says about Putin in a second. He, he admits that the Russian president is, quote, a killer. But Bill O'Reilly, who was the host, asked if Donald Trump respected Putin. Trump replied, I do respect Putin. You can yeah. just hear totally changing the, the world order. Yeah, uh, and also um, Paul got back in contact. Say, note by no checks and balances. I mean, there's nobody on your show who's pro-Trump. Five people who are all anti-Trump. Paul, there's four people who are speaking, and there's the pro-Trump guy in the corner who we've clearly gagged. Uh, who mm. you you're acknowledging is here? Sorry, I, I just kick him in the shins again while you're, while you're talking. <laughs> there. Small kick. We'll talk about the rest of the papers in a minute. Lots and lots of text messages saying we're all biased and we're hideous and we're nasty and we're being mean to the Donald and and he is democratically elected and we should respect that mandate and we're not disputing that mandate. We're talking about separation of powers and and, and what happens to the Irish out there. But look, let's talk about an equally, well, no, a far less controversial political figure, (laughs) Stephen Donnelly, who, of course, this week only emerged as controversial because he joined your party, John McGuinness. He did, and uh, he has a piece in the Irish Independent today explaining the reasons why he did that, mainly because the party is going back to its social democratic roots. Um, And I I have to say, I like the piece because he acknowledges um, his interview and how it went wrong for him and so on. Uh, and then he goes on to explain why well, he's going to the party. I, I gotta so read, look, I'm going to read that quote because it, it is relevant. I did, this is Stephen Donnelly writing in the Sunday Independent, <coughs> I did what was hands down the worst interview of my six years in politics on RTE's drive time. I struggled to address a strong criticism of Fianna Fáil. It was being insisted I had made. I paused, never pause. I said I didn't know where the quote was from, never do that. I I said it just didn't sound like my language. Stop digging. I was told it was from my own website. Car yeah, crash. but it's good Turns to see. Turns out it wasn't actually yeah, something he'd said. It was it's a good to part. see a politician oh, recognizing the fact style, that he yeah. has that he has done <laughs> that he has made made a mess of the interview. But look, he's made a decision to join uh, Fianna Fáil, and I, I wish him well. I, I like. Is he being normally welcomed by your ranks? I haven't heard any dissenting voices, um, and I know that his constituency colleague. Uh, has Pat welcomed Casey. him, Pat Casey, yeah. um, and he has a very important uh, job to do now in terms of Brexit and uh, you know giving a, a view on that for the party. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I'd be very surprised now if, if John hadn't heard any dissenting voices because all I had on the phones all weekend, I think I wrote a piece to that effect. Oh, but they're, an, they're anonymous. Uh, they're anonymous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, for some reason they yeah. didn't want to. Uh, Chip away at the leader on on such a a. But it was, it was you that, know that's one of the big problems of politics. You know, <coughs> you, you, well, you're you're, an, you're anonymous. There's very yeah. few that actually will say something and stand over it. Uh, and and th- that luckily you've never had that problem. So no, you're I really good person. <laughs> uh, to, to and I, and I believe that that's the way it should be. <laughs> well, no, the truth is, a lot of them <coughs> felt, you know, obviously it's a red letter day for Michael Martin because it, it it's it's a sign that the party is now back in a position where it can attract talent from elsewhere in the doll, and that's always a good thing. You know, Fianna Fáil were utterly toxic since 2011, and you know they they improved dramatically in in the uh, 20. Uh, 16 election. Now the truth is I nearly see this as perhaps a failure of the independent brand and certainly that's something parties will be targeting next time around because you know when the Social Democrats were formed and obviously Donnelly was a co-founder of those 
you know, we all questioned why is it that that three strong independents in the Dáil feel the need to come together in a party when the independent brand is so strong at the moment? Oh uh, no, hang on, it, it, it's strong unless you're an independent who's in government, at which point you're as toxic as being mm. a gala. And the truth is getting in under the wing of a party that is probably going to either be uh, the the major party in an next coalition or possibly the lead party in another minority coalition being supported by Fine Gael or others I'm pointing at Owen um, like that is a very shrewd move and let's let's call a spade a spade Donnelly has years of experience in spotting trends both economically and politically um, so I just think he's jumping in but at did, the right did, time Did you see this coming? Because I think when, when, when he left the Social Democrats everybody thought Johnny yeah. was going to go to Fianna Fáil were, were you aware this, this was going to happen or was no, it just we surprise? It, it's something that um, I think Stephen Donnelly spoke to Michal Martin about and I went down from there um, and and they joined, and I think that the reason why the independent brand failed is because the nature of the doll and how decisions are taken. You actually need to be in a political party to influence some sort of direction. And if, as all politicians say, I'm in politics, I want to make a difference, and Stephen Donnelly has done that, uh, has said that, uh, and he's made contributions to the doll, which which appealed to me. I I liked what he said about different aspects of the economy and how it was being developed and so on. You have to get into that party. You have to get into a party uh, to, in my opinion, make any kind of an impact within that party on the direction it's taken and mm, thereafter okay. then on its policies as they promote them in the dog. Oh, no, Bryn, I suppose you wouldn't welcome this insofar as it probably gives a good strength to Fianna Fáil because he is, if nothing else, an outstandingly good parliamentarian and probably someone you may have to face down at some point if he is in government. Well, first of all, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I know Stephen and I like him and I think there are areas of the work he's done uh, since being elected to the Dáil which have merit. But I've always kind of thought of him as a, a Blairite liberal. And I don't mean that in a disparaging term. I'm just, it's how I would describe his politics. And even his self-effacing language at the first half of that article does have the kind of the, 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 the style of Blair in it. Um, I think his difficulty is going to be twofold. Uh, the first thing is a number of the issues which he has been strongest on in the Dáil in terms of, for example, the issues around tax are issues, of course, that had their origin in earlier Fianna Fáil governments and whether or not Fianna Fáil, if they are leading a government or participating in government in the future, abandon those kinds of approaches to tax, I would be very surprised, which will create Stephen some difficulties if he is around the Cabinet. But what's also important is, is Stephen was elected in a constituency by a section of the electorate uh, that don't like Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. They are people who like the idea of an independent who's outside of traditional party politics. So notwithstanding the fact that Pat Casey and Pat's organisation and uh, Fianna Fáil and the constituency aren't going to be battling for Stephen Donnelly, I think he's created a real electoral difficulty for himself uh, in the constituency. If you look, for example, at his first uh, uh, Dáil win, he benefited enormously from transfers from a very large number of independents in the field back in, in 2011. And he then built a reputation as somebody who stands, as he would have presented it at that, at that point, outside of and above uh, the traditional Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael party divide. I think he's a very ambitious guy. Uh, I don't think he is as good a parliamentarian as some people in the media think. I don't think he is as smart as some people think. He's a very, very good communicator and he's picked a number of very uh, good issues to, to focus on. I think he's going to find life inside Fianna Fáil much, much trickier, both in terms of his mm. doll work mm. and in terms of his electoral profile. And I wish him no no, no hard feelings. The only thing is this, uh, and you know, uh, I admire John because he did keep a straight face when he talked <laughs> about Fianna Fáil's social democratic origins. There are no social democratic origins in, in Fianna Fáil. There have never been, and certainly not in the last 30 years. And the idea that the reason you would join Fianna Fáil is because of their alleged social democratic origins. He's joined Fianna Fáil because he thinks Fianna Fáil have a chance of leading the next I, government. I, can I, just say, bright I, I, I just uh, love that answer because you started off by saying, ah, Stephen, he's great. I love him. He's no, brilliant. No, I, I, and like now. Him. I like him. I like him as a person, at a personal level, right? And he is a you've smart just, enough you've operator. Just mantled, you've just managed but, to dismantle Stephen Donnelly over the last but uh, few at minutes. A political having, level, having, focusing, said that, having said that, he's the, a great guy. Focusing on the policies. But what I say is this. If he does end up in government, he's going to end up having to implement exactly the same kind of policies that he made his early political career opposing. And I think that's going to cause him difficulties. There's a touch of the George Lees about him as well. Because, well, yeah. you know, George came in to the doll on a high and found it very difficult to make his way through the murky world of party oh, but politics. Fianna, but Fianna is new, John, isn't it? This is, mm. this is the new reborn Fianna Fáil. It is, yeah. And, and he should, and John, fe he should feel at home in that party. That well. <laughs> um, very impressive. And I, no, I, I, look, I 
think that Stephen Donnelly has a contribution uh, to make and I think it's better made through a political party. I often I often listened, sit and, sat and listened to Stephen Donnelly in the Dáil and as an independent, as other independents, it's a lonely place to be and the impact, I think, is not what people perceive you, you have. You don't have the same power impact. Uh, texter Joe uh, in Belmullet. Uh, good morning to you, Joe. As <laughs> regards Stephen Donnelly, he must have had more parties than a Hollywood A-lister in Oscar week. He joins Fianna Fáil as Brexit spokesperson, which is quite fitting as he's definitely an expert on leaving. Mm-hmm. It's a bit harsh. Now, you'll have the Social Democrats after being elected as an independent. And Francis in Galway says, Stephen Donnelly, our science teacher of the 70s when advising us on life, said, remember, Johnny, the day you lie down with the dogs is the day you get up with fleas. Colm Keaveney didn't get very far when he joined Fianna Fáil. In fact, Colm Keaveney is quoted in the uh, Sunday Business Post. Um, of course, he joined midway through the last term. He quit Labour, joined Fianna, Fianna Fáil, lost his seat in Galway East. He said the party was in a different space to when he joined in 2013 and Donnelly should be able to hold his seat. The quote, I can't imagine the same daggers will be out for Stephen Donnelly as were out for me. Yeah. Well, if you take Colm Keaveney and Stephen Donnelly and Fianna Fáil where it stands and Fine Gael and Labour and, and Sinn Féin it's a crowded centre piece in politics mm. um, and the fact that you can almost seamlessly fit into a party out of an independent or that Labour Conor McKeveney could join Fianna Fáil it does I think illustrate that the centre of Irish politics is crowded and the political parties are going after the same vote mm and there's less of a radical approach and there's a less of a desire for new politics because it is a sham in the current doll uh, the way politics is operating on behalf of the people and you know when you measure the outputs in this doll no no one could stand over the type of inefficiencies that are there the lack of legislation but the that's, the na- that's the nature of the dial rather than the, the government that's there because they're completely... No, but the, go- the, gov- yeah. the government is there and should actually be leading in terms of the type of reforms that they have promised. And we're not getting those reforms. And as a result of that, the committee system is, is completely backlogged. Mm. It doesn't function. The, the parliament itself, in terms of the reform that I see in it, is badly managed by the business committee. Uh, because you don't get any real outputs in the door. You don't get the type of changes that the people are demanding. Like if you take the housing, not to get into any single issues, but just take that or take the heroin issue we may talk about earlier on. You can talk about it. You can have a committee about it. You can send a bill to the door to have a debate. You can send that bill to a committee. But the people out there are looking for real action and change. We're not getting that. As it always has been thus, many people will be shouting at the radio. I want to go to the Sunday Independent, Neve, because mm. you have it in front of you there. Public pay deals mean fresh cuts, secret memo. I, again, this was a memo that should have been secret, but has clearly been leaked to the Sunday Independent well, yeah, for a purpose. All cabinet memos are secret. This, I would say, is probably before Budget 17 is even fully implemented. We actually have the first leak from Budget 18, which will be delivered in October by Michael Noonan and Pascal Dunhu we think who knows there may have been an election between here and then but um, Michael McGrath Ono <coughs> there could, could be, be any number of be. people Stephen Donnelly or uh, Stephen Donnelly so they, the, the idea here is that the government want to make it the tough talking uh, look tough as early as possible so that as we near our way towards the actual budgetary process proper um, they can then start finding those extra 200 millions and 100 millions down the back of the couch like they did the last time the problem this time around is that Fianna Fáil will just not stand for that I mean it's very clear now Fianna Fáil are going to operate in the forthcoming budget um, in a much tougher way than they did in the last one um, there will be no hostages to fortune there will be no tolerance in any way shape or form of the maths not adding up and, and cash being found just so that um, either promises can be made on Fine Gael's behalf or so that easy compromises can be reached the next time around. And I suppose what this story tells us really at the heart of it, that's Philip Ryan's story, is that anything that exists, any of the big projects that are there at the moment will be funded and are funded. So if you're, if it's in the programme for government, it's OK. But nobody <coughs> need come looking for anything extra over and above that. And I suppose that is something that uh, ministers in particular will be quite frustrated But that's with. going to be the hard sell. And it goes back to your point, John, about nothing actually getting done in this country anymore. That we are now going to enter into this vicious cycle of trade unions wanting X, government saying it's not there. And, I, and when I say government I mean whatever 
form of government is there because I can't see there being a different argument to that which is put forward here. And and as a result, nothing gets done. We we, we end up with, with rows, disputes yeah, but we and acrimony. We, we, we are in that space now where there are pay demands and people want to, <coughs> they, they want to recover what they've lost and they want some impact in terms of the quality of the lives that they're now leading out of this austerity. And what the, the, what the headline is telling us is the obvious. You cannot have all of those pay increases. You cannot have, um, you know, all of what we want without some sort of reform. There isn't money in it. And there's, there's the, HS, the HSE is a complete basket case. It will require billions to put it right. It's constantly overspending and it's being added in on the next year's allocation and nothing is happening to reform it or make it easier for those that work within the HSE to do their job. And what I find a, f- a really failure of, of, of politics is why is the fact that those that are in finance, whether you're talking about the department, Michael Noonan or indeed Pascal Donoghue, they have not <coughs> got to grips with the debt in this country. Okay. Oh, and the people oh, continue to suffer. Oh, no, Bryn. Hard to disagree with that. Uh, well, I do disagree, but in some senses, what the story in the paper today misses is what the IMF were actually arguing in the report published on Friday, which is on the one hand, you can't cut taxes and increase investment and meet public sector pay demands. And on the other, we have chronically low levels of capital investment, which is impeding the overall economic recovery. So part of the difficulty, uh, not just for, for Pascal and his cabinet colleagues, but for government more generally, is that uh, we have crises in health and education and housing and childcare. We have some very legitimate public sector pay demands, particularly uh, for entry level. Uh, teachers and nurses and guards and, and for lower paid public sector workers. That's not what they're going after though. But no, but my point is this, is that if the government continues to follow on from exactly the same failed policy prescriptions of debt governments over the last two decades of promising tax cuts, increased public expenditure uh, and meeting some level of public sector pay demand on an ad hoc basis, it is going to fail. On the public sector pay, what is required, and Sinn Féin has been arguing this for almost a year, finally the government have woken up to it, is you can't just respond ad hoc uh, to demands for individual public sector pay negotiations. You need a new comprehensive public sector pay agreement. And the negotiations for that should have started months ago. That's not to say that you, you walk away from Lansdowne. What it says is, in anticipation of Lansdowne coming to an end, you have that agreement in place. And clearly, if you focused on, for example, pay equalisation, if you focused on dealing with the issues at the at the low and middle end, you could find the fiscal space over five years to tackle those issues. But if you fall blindly and in an ad hoc way to each, each of those public sector pay disputes at the last minute, or if you take Shane Ross's hands off approach to say, nothing to do with me, folks, nothing to see here, you're going to have these difficulties. But, you, but you, you, at a fundamental you, level, at a fundamental level, the real problem here is the macroeconomic policy, which John Part, John's party shares with Fine Gael, which is promising tax cuts and increased investment. Okay, John McGuinness, go back in on that. It, it, look, you, you simply can't have the, the uh, a pay deal similar to the one in, in, in the past where civil servants negotiate with civil servants for the pay structure. And generally speaking, it's the senior civil servants that actually win in that discussion. And the more the, the ones down the, 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 the pecking order get less and less. And you can't have any of that without reform. Like the millions and millions of euros that are lost every year to the state because of incompetence has to be addressed. And nobody is willing to address it because they haven't got the political will to do so. And the unions have a role to play too okay. because they're, they're, they're overseeing a country whose, whose, whose various structures and HSE and so on are falling asunder. And their members and are I, suffering. I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. But the book stops with the government. But the yeah, government and they've been and given the no leadership on the point I'm Unless there's a change of policy, those problems will continue. Before Fine Gael throw something at the radio because they're not here, and I have to stand up for them. Or Neve has to. We'll go to a break. Well, you have a blue shirt on. You should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Merely colour. Um, one other text, by the way. Now, so the unemployed and low wages are being pushed to the back of the queue for the lifeboats again. Is one listener's reaction to that? Five three one zero six. The number for your messages. I've put it off for 47 minutes. We'll talk about the rugby next. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richie McCormick has joined us in studio. Richie, good morning to you. How are you, Jonathan? Um, we have to talk about the rugby. Do we? 
We kind of have to. Well, has, Trump, has Trump tweeted about the rugby? He, he hasn't yet. Uh, his intervention in our Grand Slam hopes might be important, though. Um, <laughs> could he overturn the results? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see how his uh, powers of the judiciary and states goes over the next seven days. But yeah, um, there's no turning over what happened yesterday at Murrayfield. And it was a deserved defeat, which is, I suppose, the hardest pill to take. It's not as if we came away from there feeling aggrieved that we were uh, overdone by a refereeing decision or or by a silly call but rather it was our own ineptitude in the first half that saw us well, if the lose. third try was just I was just commentating there that I, I can't even play rugby I'd nearly have scored that one myself if I was well positioned in the line well let's not get carried away <laughs> <laughs> but we were in that position yeah whereby we were letting sloppy things happen there were really good players there were players in leadership roles who had off days uh, en masse which just rarely happens Jamie Heaslip Connor Murray uh, Rory Best spring to mind there was people talking about Rory Best possibly throwing away his Lions chances because we have that subtext to this year's championship as well whereby people are actually playing for a place on that plane down to uh, New Zealand in the summer so we'll see England yesterday evening beating France and a close game it was a close game and it kind of gives hope to the fact that I don't think we're actually going to have a Grand Slam winner this year um, and if it is I don't think you know it, it's going to be England and if it's not going to be England I don't think it's going to be anybody so there is that hope that there is a, still, a championship still there for us there are bonus points obviously in play we hate to say, talk about it again but yesterday we picked up one um, they may be important down the line we shall see I, I just don't see a Grand Slam winner amongst this year's field I just think it's going to be one of those years we kind of have to scrap and claw for everything and we, we'll talk with Shane Byrne a little bit later about it but could this be the boot in the backside that Ireland actually needed uh, you know we went in cock of the walk having beaten the All Blacks thinking we were the best thing that has ever emerged I don't think we needed the boot in the backside as a national side no because I think we perhaps got that when New Zealand came back to Dublin I mean yeah. we saw what we were, we were up against when we were playing those top tier nations um, the other subtext we have to this on top of Lions places is the fact that um, uh, world ranking positions are going to come into play come May for the World Cup draw so these defeats aren't doing us any good in that respect either so we do need to pick ourselves up we do have Italy in a week's time which I suppose is the ideal opportunity to, uh, to get a win on the board but then again we still haven't seen what Conor O'Shea has made of this Italy side in the Six Nations we'll get a view of that this afternoon when they face Wales and it could well be an improved prospect from the one we faced in the past few years uh, it, It's all over the papers lots of analysis you can go through it in minute detail if that's your want um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of soccer this afternoon two matches Yeah and both Manchester clubs involved on the show today first up Manchester City who look like a renewed force and uh, who knew that the coming of Jesus would do that for him Gabriel Jesus their winter <laughs> signing has done wonders for them over the past couple of games particularly away to West Ham during the week uh, they're at home to Swansea who themselves look pretty decent and uh, a renewed force uh, as they battle against the drop under Paul Clements. Leicester then the fairy tale is long since over. They're now a point above the drop zone and Manchester United are in town at the King Power this afternoon. Ranieri really battling for his life. The one thing that I think might be saving his job for now is the fact that they're in the last 16 of the Champions League and have performed pretty well in Europe which is the weird thing this year. So they can have one but not the other. That seems to be the... That appears to be the case and that would appear to be the case for a lot of sides I think this year. I mean look at Chelsea and what they're involved in or not in Europe so far this season. I mean it's it's not as coincidence that they're doing so well in the league and they are going to take some catching but we do have both United are both Manchester sides uh, in action this afternoon as well The comment was made yesterday by somebody on social media who knows more about this kind of thing than me that we are actually almost in the same place we were last year that we've one team that looks like they're going to win and mm-hmm. will be hard to catch and then everyone else is just scrap, scrapping around for Champions League places Could well be the point but we do have a hell of a lot of games to go they're you know, still I think in the, 15, in the teens of, of games to go so they are catchable I know it's a nine point difference between themselves and Spurs at the moment and it could widen over the next week or two but they're still vaguely catchable and I don't think anybody should give up hope even Arsenal fans Jonathan uh, after <laughs> yesterday's results I know let's not give them false hope <laughs> now, uh, now you, I'm going to get carried I, away now I'm going to give you a little bit of trivia oh, no. what is the most Google soccer team in the world uh, I'm going to go for is it Manchester United Spurs really yeah Good Lord go Google it I, I found I was blown away by that mass obviously That's people wondering who are Spurs but uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's no need to get the dig in they're the side above Arsenal in the league Jonathan in case you're wondering Richie McCormick yeah. on the way from 12 o'clock thank you very much for that uh, on our panel review in the papers this morning we've got John McGuinness and Ona Brin and Niamh Lyons and Niamh will go to the mail on Sunday yes this plan to legalise heroin in crisis now this was Aon O'Reardon who was mm. on the panel last week uh, he kind of came up with this idea it has been done in other countries to mixed success I think it's fair to say but it looks like opposition to this is stronger than Catherine Byrne who is the minister responsible for it now would like. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to see the Garda um the Garda quotes in the piece uh, there's this uh, memo that John Lee has gotten sight of that they're very concerned about it. I mean, 
just to say firstly I think with um, for the first time you're kind of seeing and I think even Owen would agree with this you're seeing like um, addiction services and homelessness being brought together as a, as a joint problem that can be managed together and this kind of forms part of that because for a long time we've seen you know alcohol addiction and heroin addiction in the same way it's kind of a tragedy and it's terrible when someone falls into it they end up on the streets it's a slow march to death and there's nothing anyone can really do well this is sort of a way of kind of intervening um, at the most basic level of this problem. Now, what the Gardaí are complaining about is how to police it. So I suppose at what point when someone is going to use heroin and they have that heroin in their pocket and they're walking towards this injection centre, at what point can they be arrested for holding that heroin? So is there some sort of safe zone around the centre? Um, there's a touch of, of talk in there about antisocial behaviour but to be honest with you I think this centre will probably be somewhere in Dublin City and I think if you ask many local businesses they'd probably say that they don't like seeing people um, injecting in open spaces and dealing in open spaces so that perhaps this will bring it off the street and the only good thing to say about this particular initiative is you won't be allowed into the centre to use unless you're registered so at that point I think the idea here is that you get intervention yeah. as early as possible now this hasn't worked in Canada for this reason in that you know if you if you have to build more centres to cater for more heroin addicts you're losing the idea would be that you try and get people into programmes and that you monitor their doses and ensure it's going downwards instead of upwards. But the programmes that they have at the moment in terms of methadone and other um, ways of dealing with this have not been successful no. and, and, and they've actually failed to administer the systems that, that they have in place. So adding another system, which has, as you said, in Canada, has has, has mixed results wherever mm. it has been tried. So why not get what we have in place fixed and working properly? And why, why well, can't I think in that situation, you know, what has often been failing, like I said, with the homelessness issue, you know, is the mental health services behind it's addiction. The, the, the fact that somebody who's a heroin addict has, has multiple of issues, yes. it's not just heroin. It's not just that they don't have a house. It's not just yeah. that they're addicted to heroin. There could be serious, deep problems yeah, in their background the, that need to be If you take the mental and health supports that, that there is, are supposed to be, mm -hmm. they're non-existent in places. And the, the efforts that are being made are not being funded. Mm. The, well, the good mean, efforts, the efforts that are actually being successful. This is a pilot scheme for a reason, but I let's, think. Let's, um, let's be very clear. Pe people are injecting heroin on our streets uh, at great risk to themselves and with a broader social and economic cost to society. So we can continue to, to close our eyes to that fact or we can do two things. We can provide precisely these kinds of facilities. Harm reduction, which is in the interests of, of the uh, person who is addicted to heroin and in the interest of society as a whole. But what we also need to do, and this is where I agree with John, we need to start properly investing in our addiction services. They've had up to 30% cuts over the last, services over the last five or six years. And when John's party was previously in government, they were chronically underfunded as well. Always a so so <laughs> we, we either need to provide the adequate services, both at harm reduction and in terms of getting people off uh, drugs like heroin. And if we do that, this kind of pilot will become mainstream, normalised and people won't have the concerns that they currently have. On the guards, what I'll say is this. The guards shouldn't be asking the question about what they're going to do about the addict uh, with a single score of heroin in their mm. pocket. The guards need to be funded and empowered to go after the people who are importing and selling they're not going to and stop destroying our, small our communities. Maybe we should have a pilot project of Sinn Féin in government and just see how you really <laughs> uh, deal with it. I, I have no difficulty been, with that, John. He's been holding that in reserve. I just briefly want to go to the story on page 6 of the Sunday Times. Robots march on sale jobs of middle classes. Now I don't want to upset you if you are a tram driver or a technical writer or an accountant but we don't have nuclear power reactor operators here um, and are an insurance underwriter but apparently they are the most at risk of being replaced mm. by robots. Uh, but one of the, the most likely to survive on the list is occupational therapist or surgeon or, or public relations executive. I don't know where politician is. Politicians should, we were told, should be okay. We were told that video would kill the radio and it didn't. Yeah. And these stories come every so often and they go and life continues as it but was. But if you look, I, I was in the Toyota plant and saw those cars being assembled and it was fascinating. There was, I think, two people on the floor. Mm. That was it. Yeah. And as they wanted parts, they came in with robots, the cars were assembled with robots, everything was done within a very tight time frame in each section of the construct of the car. So we can expect a lot of us being replaced. <laughs> we'll all, we'll all be, be a member of the doll, it's your only hope. But I'm sure the chandel will still be going anyway, lads, don't worry about it. Um, we'll leave it there. We thank our panel, John McGuinness, Ona Bryn and Niamh Lyons. Uh,